but we'll begin in verse 16 and read through verse 40. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It came out of her that very hour. Verse 19, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw them, the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he baptized, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set before them food. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. Verse 35, But when it was day, the magistrate sent police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had set the brothers, or seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is God's word. Let's bow in prayer, asking for his help to understand and obey what this means. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday morning. We thank you for time together. We thank you for songs to sing. We thank you for the encouragement accountability that comes from life together. Lord, bless our time of study. Open to us what this means. Give us what is necessary to be obedient to how we must change. Lord, show us our sins and show us our Savior. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. 
Well, the, the good thing and the bad thing about this book that we've been studying for well over a year is that it is so predictable down not only to the chapters but the divisions within the chapters that you know where you are no matter wherever you are. God is always allowing the gospel to go out and he's always bringing people in at the sound of that gospel. It seems at every turn there's something that tries to prevent that from happening, but in the book of Acts, it'll always be overcome. It looks as if it's going to go bad. It does go bad. There is pain and suffering, but in the end, there are people out of seemingly nowhere who profess to be Christians, and the church grows. Now, I said that's good and bad only because it sounds like we've been listening to reruns for the last six months at least. And we're going to get more reruns. The things are different. The names of the people are different. Geographical locations are different. And though this is a very dramatic passage, you might even remember it from your time in Sunday school as a kid, there are some details in here that can help us sort some things, even practically speaking, in the way we handle missions and ministry today. So we're going to give it a a good run-through. That's a big chunk that we read But it starts out um, changing the the scene in verse 16 with another trip to the place of prayer. And that was because we learned last week there weren't enough Jews in Philippi to have a synagogue. So these ladies would meet at the river, the place of prayer, and they're headed back that way and were met by this slave girl who'd been possessed by a spirit of divination. That's what your ESV might say. Other translations might vary. But the Greek word for that, for all of you that came this morning to hear some Greek stuff, it means python. That's the actual Greek word. Most of us know that to be description of a big snake, right? Well, it goes back even further in Greek uh, mythology. It uh, was actually a mythical serpent or dragon that guarded the temple and oracle of Apollo. And at this point in time was used to describe demon possession, specifically a person through whom the python spoke. These are superstitious people. Their religion is a pantheon of gods. And the history books tell us that even a ventriloquist was thought to be demon possessed because out of their mouth came the voice of another. And I was thinking as I was reading this, I never liked that wooden ventriloquist. They brought a VBS every now and then. It was creepy to me. Maybe just because it looked kind of like a clown and they've always been creepy. But in this case, it, it, it's undoubtedly true that those that knew this girl didn't think of her as fraudulent or insane. You don't pay an insane or fraudulent person good money to tell you your future if you believe that's what is going on. Um, So it was worth a lot of money but became a problem over time because she would interrupt Paul and Silas on a daily basis, we read. And because Paul exercises the demon, we read about that, it's kind of a play on words in the Greek we don't see in the English, but it, it's kind of like this. He exercised the demon and also exercised her income. That's where the problem started. 
hey, everybody was paying her, which is paying us, for her giftedness, spirit of divination, or python from the Greek. She followed Paul and us, Luke tells us, the word us there, he's still there with him. So it's Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, and maybe more. And what she's crying out publicly was the truth. Now, that's the, that's the seemingly weird part about reading this, even though it shouldn't be weird because that's the way it always is in the New Testament. If an evil spirit speaks through a human being, either in the Gospels in the presence of Jesus or his disciples or here in the presence of the apostles in Acts, they always acknowledge whom they're dealing with. In fact, it was the demons that saw Jesus for who he was before most of the disciples saw him for who he was. That's the weird part. But it's consistent here. She's telling the truth. They serve the Most High God and proclaim to you the way of salvation. But just like with Jesus in the Gospels, Paul does the same thing and refuses that testimony outright. And consequently, we would do the same though I've never encountered such things, and I doubt neither have you either. But the idea is this. Even if an unclean demonic spirit is speaking out loud words of truth in the presence of Jesus or his disciples or apostles, its witness is not to be trusted. They are not on the same page. That is actually one of the two plays that the devil has had, and it's always been the same. The first one is some perception of an alliance. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, ah, he, you're not really going to die if you eat the tree of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? He just has some stuff he wants to keep for himself and not share with you. You'll be more like him if you eat it. Sounds like they're kind of on the same page, maybe, or they're working out their differences. Now, that's the first tactic. And it's the same as with the devil, with Jesus. Hey, you know, we can work something out. I own all this. You bow down to me. I'll give it to you. Oh, let's just see if you really are who you say you are. Jump off and the angels will come. There's no need for you to be hungry. It's natural for you to need to eat and so on and so forth. In this case, though, the growing problem was with the demon's words from the girl's mouth are actually getting more of a hearing than the proclamation of the gospel. So this has... To end, Paul did not permit the testimony of the girl to stand. He refused it. And this is the devil's first line of attack. He has two. Now, if we read on a little bit, we'll see the second. Once their owners saw that the hope of their gain was gone or exercised, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace, brought them to the magistrates. These are Jews. They're telling stuff that we can't are supposed to not pay attention to. And then one thing leads to another. By 23, inflicted many blows upon them, threw them to prison. The jailer takes them into the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. Having received his order, he puts them into the stocks. So if the devil's first method of attack is, hey, we're all on the same team, his second is persecution. We're not at all on the same team and to try to silence them through pain and suffering. Now, if the first one works some of the time, the second one never works. It always backfires on the devil. 
Whenever he really turns up the heat, that's when the mission field burns hottest. It should be that way in cultures like our own. It's not. We've got too many options and distractions to be sensitive to God's word most of the time. But the charges against them involve their allegedly advocating for an illicit religion and thus disturbing the Roman peace. That, that's what they say. These men are Jews and we are and disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful. And to be true, that, that is correct. But at the wrong time. Later, Christianity would be put on the list of illegal religions under the Roman Empire. And it would then be open season and persecution would come from the government itself. Up until this point, the government might participate in keeping the peace, even with Pilate washing his hands, because they would allow Judaism to keep the peace. Christianity, they thought at this point, was just a subsect of Judaism. Christianity is just another way of looking at the same thing. That's not the case here, but it looks like it sticks for the moment, especially when they say they're they're disturbing the city, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, and it does look like, especially when you look at the larger context, that there's some racial overtones in here as well. I mean, look at it. These men are Jews. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. They're doing their thing. We're doing our thing, and their thing's getting in the way of our thing. It's a way for them to couch their real problem. The real problem is, hey, we're, we're, we no longer have our, our business through this girl. They've ruined it. We want them out of here. So to keep going, there are a number of governing officials mentioned in this passage, for those of you who are interested in such things. Uh, in your ESV, you're probably only going to see the word magistrate and jailer. But there's different Greek words for magistrate different times you see it. Uh, From a lesson in Roman history, probably makes sense. Some translations do the same to refer to a lictor in there as well. Magistrate, lictor, and a jailer. I'll explain the difference between the three. Magistrates held the honorific title praetor. If you know from the Easter story, there is the praetorian guard. That's... uh, Herod and Pilate and that whole group, they had access to the guard that would guard the praetor or the magistrate. First time I remember hearing the word magistrate, not in a biblical sense, was riding with my brother in a car who was a sheriff's deputy for a while. We got to check in with the magistrate, pulls the window up, you know, check in. Uh, There's the little door where you put your weapons in. I think the thing that the car rides in is called Sally Port. Both doors go down. It's just you, whoever's in your car, and the magistrate. You got to get that settled before you figure out what to do, right? Not a lot different. The magistrate has the law and can enforce it. Now, the lictor, he would carry symbolically this uh, bundling of long, thin rods with an axe bundled in the middle of it. They didn't use those. They were for show. But the idea was, I carry out the sentencing handed down by the magistrate. This would be the guy who actually would beat them with rods. Not the rods for show, but ones for beating people. And then you've got the jailer who takes the punished, beaten men into custody, puts them in the jail. 
So jailers were commonly retired military veterans who could be expected to follow orders and run a tight ship. That's all the players involved here. And we read that it escalated very quickly. And one thing missing in the whole story is Luke telling us whether or not Paul claimed Roman citizenship. We got to the end. After he's been beaten, spent the night in jail, he brings it up then, but he doesn't bring it up to begin with. Or did he? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. And it might be that they didn't care or were in such a hurry they didn't verify anything. But that was not lawful. First of all, to punish without a trial. And second of all, to punish a Roman citizen with a demeaning type of punishment. That's why you'd never see a Roman citizen on a cross. If you were a Roman citizen, they would kill you some other way because they thought it was beneath a Roman to be beaten or to be crucified. So Paul's got him, but it didn't, <laughs> didn't do him any good. He's still beaten. He's still put in the stocks. Um, and before we move on, just, just to say that what happens in verse 25, the description of what happened in the midnight hour, um, this would be difficult. It's a stretch for us as Westerners in American culture. Uh, it, it'd be easy enough to try to paint the picture in our mind, but we've got to all admit we don't have reference points for this. Any of it, really. I mean, in 20 years or so, I've, I've, I've never showed up to church and said, there's that demon-possessed girl again telling everybody that we're the servants of the Most High and preaching the good stuff. It's never happened to me. Oh, maybe it's ha- I know there's one guy that protested one time we had to ask him to leave, but that, that's about as far as I know with this church. And we had some folks in Danville who would like to sneak into the church and video parts of our sermons and then put it on their TV show and say how that we were teaching contrary to the Bible, which is what they were doing. But it's amazing what you can do when you just take the little pieces out of the sermon you want the guy to say and match it with something that he would have never said as the second half of that sentence. (laughs) But that's nothing compared to this much less even seeing or witnessing a demon possession. They make movies about goofy stuff like that. And that's why I don't watch those kind of movies because that stuff really happens. You know, monsters and things, that's all made up. And the exorcisms on TV are play acting as well. But they're making movies about stuff that's real. That's why it's creepy to me. I don't get too worried about clowns in the sewers because there's no such thing. But there is a devil, and there are demons, and they do want nothing but our destruction. And if not for the grace of God and his protection, or his deciding that we're fit to suffer for him, it'd be a lot different. So... What we read in verse 25, I'm thinking, is pretty close to hallowed ground. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That last part makes a lot of sense because it would be so unusual. In fact, a lot of commentaries go into links to say that this was probably added some other time, and it's, it's fantastic. Not real. didn't happen because it just doesn't fit reality. No, it doesn't fit reality. Um, 
I think I'll just leave that whole paragraph where Tertullian left it. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. These men had something going on that I think was what was necessary for the jailer to ask the question he did and be receptive to the story because these guys are different. He doesn't know how or why, but it's, it's changed his life enough to take the next step. Was it worth it? Well, a man and his family are saved by the end. But if you've got an imagination, even if it's just your childish imagination from back in Sunday school with flannel graph and all, or your adult imagination, once perhaps maybe you have had some suffering in your life and this type of thing is attractive to you because you're looking in on, on a faithfulness that sacrifices its health and safety, but then in the middle of the darkest hour can be happy. Now, if they're good Hebrews and they're singing, they probably have at least their hymn book memorized, right? The hymn book of the Hebrews is the book of Psalms, right? You suppose they, in taking a request from each other, might have sung through hymn number 23. You know that one? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want, maketh me lie down in green pastures. That'd be a nice thought. They're not lying down in a green pasture. But then it goes on, restores my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and if they did and this is all speculation might it dawn on them that a couple hours later they're going to be seated at a table prepared for them in the presence of their enemies who aren't enemies anymore that's the best thing about the good shepherd he can take your enemies and turn them into your brothers and sisters so yes it was worth it The jailer, like the possessed slave girl, and this is key. This is something maybe worth writing down. Neither one of them had centuries of background before the fact to help them understand what Paul was talking about. They're not Jews. They don't have Genesis 1-1 and the books of Moses and the books of the law and the prophets and millennia worth of, of running start to make sense of who this guy Jesus is. And fact check who he says he was. They don't have that. Also what they don't have is all this information after the fact like we do. Most of us grew up in church. We have both Old Testament and New Testament. We learned about this story when we were children, many of us. But this jailer and that poor slave girl had none of that. So it makes sense, at least in the context of the jailer, and we assume that it's consistent through the story. It would help make sense for the the slave girl as well. But there's no need for Paul or ourselves to labor over what is meant by the word saved that came out of the mouth of the jailer. What must I do to be saved? Was he talking about what must I do to live through tonight knowing that some of my slaves may have gone, prisoners? In Roman rules, he takes their place if he can't find them or anybody else can find them. So maybe he's saying, you know, he was trying to kill himself. 
okay, how, how do I get out of this? Or maybe he'd heard the slave girl. These are servants of the Most High proclaiming the way of salvation. I'm ready for that proclamation of salvation now, maybe he's saying. Again, it, it's conjecture. But Paul immediately fills in whatever gaps may have been part of their understanding or misunderstanding. Look back at it. This is verse 30. He brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, so regardless of what he meant by that, here's what Paul and Silas say. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the bottom line. You can't boil it down any more simplistically than that. But there's more information that they would need to know. So keep reading. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. That's different sit sitting, different situation. He says, here's what you're going to need to know. And then he goes home and tells them how to arrive at an understanding of what those words mean. Believe on Jesus and you will be saved. So it's a clear teaching and articulation of the Word of God on their level, as it were. Um, so Luke has shown us a man at the end of his rope having experienced an event from which his thinking, his life has forever changed. I mean, really, how do you say that my life is the, the same as it was before the night the earthquake ripped the chains off of all the prisoners? I was going to kill myself. The guys in there said, don't do it. We're all still here. We're not going anywhere. You don't get past an experience like that. And it seems he believes that these Jewish prisoners might have the answer to his question. Remember, the, the whole family was gloriously saved. It wasn't the earthquake. It was just with, as with Lydia. The Lord opened his heart to understand what Paul would tell him, which is the same as it works any time. Whether you're sitting across the table with a colleague or you're a child in your parents' home or sitting in a pew, salvation comes because God opens your heart and you understand the words that are delivered to you through a devotion, through a sermon, through your mother's teaching, father's, whatever. Verse 35, but when it was day, this is the next morning, the magistrates sent the police, that's the lictors again, saying, let those men go. Now, some of this needs some explanation. And if you go all the way down to verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. That's from last week. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. That means Luke's not gone with them, by the way. He'll come back. You'll see the we again as he writes in chapter 20. But the question is, why no protest before the beating, but a protest now with their release? Paul was refusing to allow the magistrates who had violated the law an easy way of escape. Every word of his protest is an indictment. They have beaten us publicly. Can't do that to Romans, period. Uncondemned. Can't do anything to them until they've been condemned. They weren't. Men who are Roman citizens. That's kind of the mic drop at the end. And what seems to result in their being afraid and they come and apologize. Because really, the only ones guilty of breaking the laws of the state are the people in the town, and the authorities who rule them. All the law-breaking was done by the people 
that he had offended by casting out the demon of the poor slave girl. So you still have the question, okay, that makes sense. And we see Paul tell us a lot about governments and so forth, right? Isn't he the one that tells us, tells Timothy to pray for your leaders? This is probably by the time Nero was in charge. He's the one who's going to take his head off. And then goes on to say that God has put them in place for order. They, they don't carry the sword in vain. There, there's a place for law and order. That's, that's this guy. But now he's calling them out. So is he pro-authority or is he against authority? No. He just wants the authority done the right way. No such thing as corrupt government. Think of it. If Paul the Apostle sees that authority as given by God, isn't he going to hold whoever does the job accountable to do it God's way, which is justice, truth, correct? So why is he doing this if he's leaving? Uh, you remember a few weeks ago I told you about how in college, I had to pay somebody good, hard-earned money to help me get through the only math class that was required for my degree because I was bad at it. Do you think that that lovely teacher, who was good at what she did, had to tell me twice, if you want what numbers at the top of your page, you don't have to finish this exam. You can walk out with that grade. And that it required I do an average She's not going to let us out of there without at least one math problem, right? So I averaged it out, and it was a D. It's a pass. Is she going to have to tell me twice to get out of this math class? It's the last time you'll ever be in one in your whole life. No. So you're wondering, Paul, it's the inner part of the dungeon. The guy has washed your back. You've led him to the Lord but it's time to go. And here's the open door. He says, no, you tell them they put us in here. They can come get us. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm going to add to the coughing. Listen, it's coughing season and it's all right. And there's probably no COVID in it. Probably. <laughs> and if it is, God gave you an immune system bolstered by the good intentions of our government for some of you. Just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> I forgot to tell you earlier that it's only six weeks till Christmas. You all like hearing that too, don't you? The kids do, but you don't. Anyway, why is Paul not taking the open door and leaving? Because of the benefit of those who would stay. He's left a little church there, right? And if he's left his little church here... Um, and it's going to be necessary, according to his teaching, that he got from his Lord Jesus. If they need to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, then it makes sense that Caesar must render to the Christian citizen under its care the things that are right and true. That's what Paul is on about. So there's this fine dignity in Paul's attitude that's most respectable and worthy of our following. And if I have to cough again, I won't grab my mic to try to mute it. That made it worse. Conclusion. What's in this for us? What should we make of it? We started with the idea of this book goes on and on and on and on with the same thing. God's Word 
victoriously goes out despite any and all opposition. And as it goes out and people are listening, God is bringing people in. So let's look at those two. It's just a summary of what we've learned. God's word keeps going out. What Paul and Silas gave the Philippian jailer was the same Christ-centered gospel that had been proclaimed since Pentecost. It hadn't changed. They can't change it. They have no business changing it. It's the same one that's said today, if it's said correctly. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, since it was new to the jailer, the missionaries took time to explain to him and the others in his house the word of the Lord setting the good news of salvation in Jesus before them in terms they could understand on their level, which is what we still do. You can give someone a summary statement while you understand there's some moving pieces there. That's why you invite them to church and we we teach. We teach ourselves. What's the worst thing in the world than a Christian who doesn't know the mechanics of the gospel they say they believe? But we need each other to do that and to study in community. Read our Bibles together. That's the best way to do it. So the actions of the jailer here, washing the wounds of Paul and Silas, submitting to baptism and inviting them to his home, testify to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it looks like this is as good of news as we see in any of the other chapters. And as far as God keeps bringing people in, I think this is one of the more intriguing portions of not just chapter or the second half we looked at today, but the whole chapter 16, the church at Philippi. And we know we have a Philippians in our New Testament, and we can read all about Paul's interaction with that church that started here. But you'd be hard to find or even imagine a more um, eclectic group of people to start a church with? What's, what's their membership role look like? If, if we got the early uh, original copy of Church in Philippi's uh, directory, who's in it? A businesswoman sells purple. Uh, she's not part of Philippi. She's traveling through. She was there at the river God opened her heart to hear what Paul had to say. Then, most commentators agree, though it's not said specifically, but it just would go across the way Luke is describing and would probably have said something if it wasn't. But a slave girl who used to be possessed by a demon people referred to as a python snake who spoke for Apollo. And then you've got a retired ex-military jailer but there's your directory. That's, that's, that's an incredible group to start with. Now, their families are there too. Lydia opened her house. I don't know how much family the slave girl had. Maybe her master eventually. Maybe he liked her better after she belongs to Jesus than before. Who knows? We'll find this stuff out in heaven. But this is quite a, a, a group. If you just took certain uh, words like socially, racially, psychologically, and just ran it through that list of three, it'd prove your case. They don't have much in common. They have more different about them than what is the same. Socially speaking, you've got this middle, upper-class sales lady. And then on the other end, and you couldn't get more low on the food chain than a slave girl in this part of the world. 
In fact, there are still slave girls in this world. But in this case, it, it was probably worse. She had no body and no thing. She was only valuable in as much as she could bring money in. And she didn't keep any of it any more than it would take to clothe her, or keep her fed, place to stay. And then this uh, jailer, he's probably in the middle, a freed man at least, maybe a Roman citizen, has a background, he's good at something. But then to look at it as far as racially, this guy's probably a Roman. This lady's from Asia Minor, and this slave girl, who knows? Because the slave trade was, was worldwide, and where she came from. And who she belonged to was probably forgotten, maybe even in infancy, if she even could perceive such things. And then that word, psychologically, uh, do you think that a business person's thinking would be anything like a slave girl's thinking or anything like a jailer's thinking? (laughs) Yeah, hardcore military. That's one way to skin a cat, right? Then there's practical means of business and then there's just trying to survive um, it, it's quite a cross section but here is what is fabulous this takes a little bit of digging but if, if you remember the, the parable Jesus told of the two men that went up to the temple to pray remember that and one came home forgiven the other didn't the one prayed a common prayer Sounds to our ears very self-serving. Lord, I thank you that I'm not woman. Thank you that I'm not a slave. I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Now that guy beat on his chest and said, I'm just a sinner. He's the one that went home forgiven. That prayer was prayed by every household, uh, head of house in the Jewish world. Now, again, to our ears, it's a little different. They saw themselves as having received the commands of God. I I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile because I wouldn't have as many of your rules to govern my life by. Sounds to us like he thinks he's better than the Gentiles, and they did. But in that prayer were mentioned, get this, I thank you for not making me a Gentile not making me a slave and not making me a woman. He's just thanked the Lord for not being in the directory of the Philippian church. I mean, it's exactly. This is written by Paul who knew that prayer and Paul puts it in the same order in Galatians 3.28 where he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And fought tooth and nail anybody that get in his way to try to make it any more complicated than God had intended. When he rent the veil, after the words it is finished was said, what said stay away now says everybody walk in. You're welcome. It's paid for. Come home. I think that's fabulous. God makes no distinction. And if we're headed for a place that includes every tribe, nation, and tongue, that'd that'd be heaven. We probably could use a little diversity training, don't you think? We kind of like to fill our churches up with people that look just like we do. When heaven's going to be anything but. It's got everybody. Everybody. 
all made just the way God wanted them to be made because he made them that way and he makes no mistakes. These are things that we teach our children. We grow up and we forget. But a wonderful passage. Galatians gives us a little bit of the backstory. But the church seems to be what the world has always needed. Adoption into the family of God where all our differences just make the one thing we have in common more precious. Wasn't going on in Rome, wasn't going on in Philippi, wasn't going on in Jerusalem, but it was going on in the churches. And thank the Lord that it goes on here. So I think that's enough. Let's bow in prayer. Thank the Lord for his word. Help us to understand and obey. Father in heaven, we've, we've taken these last few minutes in an attempt on your day with each other to understand your word. Lord, would you help us obey your word? Lord, may our life and not just our thinking, but our actions show everyone we know you make no distinction. That it's just enough that we be called your child. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for giving us the truth to be part of your saving others. Lord, feel pleased to put us in the position of a Paul or a Silas who can tell someone simplistically what being saved is, but then to explain to them how it's done and to give them the background story, to give them the things that you left us, that you ask us to teach them, that you taught us. Lord, give us your hand of blessing on this ministry as we seek to engage this local area, our state, our country, and our world. Lord, would you see fit to bless your word that it not return void, that we be found faithful, and we give you the glory. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.